This is HEC Media. The views and opinions expressed in the following program do not reflect the views or opinions of HEC or this station. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Today, our author is former Cabinet Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano. We spoke with her about her book, How Safe Are We? Homeland Security Since 9-11 by Public Affairs Books in February of 2019 at Spot Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. As the third full-time head of the Department of Homeland Security since its creation post-September 11th, Secretary Napolitano is very well-versed about the threats that the United States faces, foreign states acting against U.S. interests, transnational terror organizations, and domestic groups wishing to disrupt the lives of the American public directly being among the many threats on the list. But she says that people don't often think of climate change and security in the same sentence, but they ought to. When you think of security as the protection of people's safety, and when you look at the number of people who have died due to extreme weather events, which are themselves traceable to climate change, that far outstrips any number of deaths due to terrorism. And, you know, we're going to see more landfall hurricanes, more tornadoes of greater intensity, droughts out west which lead to these catastrophic wildfires. And in this wide-ranging interview, we'll hear about how she approached dealing with these challenges during her four-plus year stint in office during the Obama administration and how it compares to how things are being handled now during the Trump administration. That and more from the former governor, cabinet secretary, and current university president and writer Janet Napolitano on this episode of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Paul Shankman. Secretary Napolitano, thanks so much for joining us for our show today. No, thanks for having me. You bet. I'm really tempted because the book is How Safe Are We, to start by saying How Safe Are We. We'll, st we'll stick a pin in that question for a minute and come back to it, because I really want to know why you chose now, you've been out of government service for a while, uh, to write this book. Well, because I've been thinking a lot about homeland security and uh, what are the real risks that we face as a as a nation, as as a country, and uh, what are the real risks and what are what I would like to think of as more uh, theatrical risks, but uh, are not really an impending danger to the American people. And and I thought I had something to say about that. What would be an example of a theatrical risk? Building a wall on the southwest border is a good example of that. Um, you know, the southwest border, it's a zone. It's, it's the most frequently trafficked land border in, in the world. You know, I was the governor of Arizona before I was the secretary of Homeland Security. I grew up in New Mexico. I know that border very, very well. And uh, the notion that you're going to somehow uh, seal it off with a wall uh, you know, that is a symbol, it's not a strategy, and the border itself is not in crisis. 
Not an emergency. Not an emergency. No, not well, at all. Was there a time you declared as governor an emergency at the border? In the early 2000s, yes. Um, uh, uh, at that point in time, the uh, number of uh, illegal uh, uh, migration crossings were was at a, a multiple factor of what it is uh, now. And because of uh, actions that had been taken in San Diego and in El Paso, uh, over half of the illegal migration traffic was coming right up through Arizona. So uh, that border uh, between Arizona and Sonora was not secure at that point in time, but it certainly is now. Under President Obama, we drove illegal crossings to 45-year lows, and uh, those, those numbers have stayed relatively static until just recently. So why is this such a thing suddenly? Is it just it's a wedge issue, it's politics, or is there really something to be concerned about? You know, I, I, I have to say, I think it's a wedge issue. Uh, it's uh, uh, designed to uh, divide um, and uh, to mischaracterize uh, the conditions at the border. You know, the, the, the U.S.-Mexico border is 1,940 miles. It's uh, a lot of different kinds of terrain. It's uh, public land, it's private land, it's sovereign Indian nations. You have uh, cities on both sides of the border that bump right up to the border. In fact, some of the safest cities in the United States are actually on the Mexican border. Uh, one would think that wouldn't be the case if it was truly a border in crisis. What still needs to be done, though, to secure it even more? You know, I think uh, you need to think of the border uh, between the ports of entry and at the ports of entry. So between the ports, you need manpower, you need technology, uh, ground sensors, tunnel detectors, you need air cover and, and drones. Uh, and then at the ports of entry, we need to uh, strengthen um, the technology there so that uh, with the thousands of cars and trucks that go through that port every single day, uh, they can be quickly uh, 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 x-rayed as it were. That's really, it's kind of an x-ray um, uh, to see if there's any suspicious compartments or, or um, uh, something that looks untoward. And then a vehicle can be pulled over into secondary. But meanwhile, the traffic keeps moving. Well, and a lot of the undocumented people, I guess, they're not crossing the border. They're flying in. Uh, it is state. Well, well uh, most of the people who are in the country who are undocumented actually came legally, um, and they've overstayed their visas. Uh, they didn't cross across the southwest border. You know, when I read the book, I assumed that I'd open it up in chapter one would be terrorism or, you know, cyber security and so forth and so on. But the, the threat that you... Uh, say is the biggest in the book is climate change. Tell me about that. Right. So people don't often think of climate and security in the same sentence, but they really ought to, because when you think of security as the protection of uh, people's uh, safety, and when you look at uh, the number of people who have died um, due to extreme weather events, which are themselves traceable to climate change, uh, that far outstrips any uh, uh, number of deaths due, due to terrorism. And, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, more landfall hurricanes, uh, more uh, tornadoes of greater intensity, uh, droughts out west, which uh, lead to these catastrophic wildfires. We lost 
dozens of people's lives uh, this year in California. Um, and this is all a, f a function of uh, the warming of the planet. And we need to address it in two ways. Uh, one is, as a, as a nation, we need to join the community of nations and do our part to reduce the rate with which uh, the planet is warming and rejoin, say, the Paris Accords. The second thing is we need to focus more on adaptation to the climate change that's already happened, the rising sea levels, uh, how we build our roads, where we put our bridges, our airport runways, the kinds of building materials that we use. Uh, uh, if a community is destroyed by an extreme weather event, is it rebuilt in the same place or do we move it someplace else? Uh, those are, in, in, in some respects, real security issues and it's a set of risks that we don't talk about in that way, but we ought to. Well, it certainly is taxing the folks at FEMA, which is, of course, part of the Department of Homeland Security, which a lot of people probably don't realize, because a lot of people, since it's still a fairly new department, uh, don't really know what Homeland Security does. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. It was uh, combined of 22 formerly uh, separate agencies that came from different legacy departments, uh, Treasury, Transportation, the Department of uh, Justice, the Department of Commerce, um, and then some totally new directorates that were uh, also established in the wake of 9-11. And, it, you know, it was designed out of the hope to uh, give the United States greater capability of connecting the dots in case there was a 9-11 style attack in the offing uh, once again. But its mission is so much uh, broader than, than just that. Are they better able to connect the dots now? Because there were warning signs going up to 9-11 that somehow or another got missed or ignored, I guess. Well, in the 9-11 Commission report in kind of reverse engineering how the 9-11 attack occurred um, said, yeah, there were lots of red flags, but what was really uh, noteworthy was a failure of imagination. Um, and so uh, we pick up red flags better now than we did in the past. I'm not so sure we have the imagination part, um, that kind of, you know, kind of forward thinking, holistic view of what it really takes to keep America safe. Well, and I think you said in the book that part of the reason that President Obama hired you was because he, he thought you had a dark imagination or <laughs> capable of a dark imagination? Right. So, you know, when you're the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, uh, you deal with um, the, the day in, day out crisis uh, that, that is occurring, but you also have to be able to think in, in kind of what if scenarios. Um, what if uh, uh, not just uh, uh, bombing uh, one shopping center, but there were multiple shopping centers all bombed uh, around the country during the holiday shopping period. Uh, uh, what if not just a flu season, but a true pandemic? Uh, what if not just one landfall hurricane, but three right in a row or uh, right at the same time as we saw in 2017? So you really, you really have to be able to, to say, okay, um, if such a thing were to occur, um, 
what would we do? What resources would we bring to bear? How would we communicate with the American people? Um, how would we uh, organize the resources of the federal government? All those kinds of things that you need to put into your playbook. Yeah, I would imagine anybody at the cabinet level in any administration probably doesn't sleep that great at night. But I would think particularly with that job, that must have been really stressful for you. It is a very stressful job, but I, I've always been a good compartmentalizer. Um, I don't know uh, what it is about my personality, but uh, I also think uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security has to be able to compartmentalize. Uh, other, otherwise, um, you'll, go, you'll go crazy. Coming up in a moment, we'll hear more about the threats that Secretary Janet Napolitano faced in her job as the head of the Department of Homeland Security in the Obama administration, plus what she worries about these days with the coming presidential election cycle. If there's one thing that's clear from the Mueller report is that the Russians were all over our 2016 presidential election. I want to know what we're doing as a country to uh, strengthen our uh, protections in this regard, uh, so to give us greater confidence that this isn't happening or cannot happen in 2020. That and her thoughts on U.S. domestic terrorism and cybersecurity when Talking With Authors continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. You were talking about red flags before. Uh, it, it always strikes me after one of these awful attacks, you know, at a Christmas market or, you know, a truck going through people or what have you. It seems within an hour, if not sooner, you hear on the news, they know exactly who did it, it's somebody they've been watching and so forth. If, if they're watching all these folks, how is this happening? Well, um, there's a difference between uh, perhaps knowing something about uh, an individual versus having an individual under 24-7 surveillance. Um, and, you know, we simply don't have the capability to keep uh, everybody about who we may have uh, a little bit of so-called derogatory information under 24-7 uh, surveillance. That it puts a premium on good intelligence gathering. Uh, it puts a premium on effective partnerships with local police departments and, and community groups and others who are, um, uh, you, know, you know, really paying attention. Uh, uh, but, um, uh, it, you know, oftentimes we can reverse engineer um, you know, fairly rapidly after an event, uh, but prevention, we, uh, we still have a lot to do. Well, the other side of that coin, I suppose, is that there are probably a lot of attacks that you may have known about that we didn't know about that were prevented because of intelligence. Is there more than we even imagine? Um, there's an awful lot that is uh, prevented, and it doesn't become public, nor uh, should it. Um, uh, that's you know, it's just part of uh, the security landscape. And uh, we want to walk a careful line between keeping people informed versus scaring people uh, and scaring people unnecessarily. Well, I'll tell you what scares me. <laughs> Maybe it's unnecessary, but I doubt it, is, is cybersecurity, particularly things like the electric grid, the banking system. It seems like somebody, and it wouldn't have to be anybody that's really amazing at 
sort of thing, uh, could shut us down. You know, I, I actually think, I put that right up there with climate change as a major risk facing the United States. And it's extraordinarily complicated. We live in a networked world. Um, and, uh, you know, the networks don't stop at national uh, borders. So uh, there's an international aspect to this. Um, our nation's critical infrastructure, our banking, our telecommunications, our utilities um, uh, are by and large in private sector hands. Um, and uh, this is, is just something where in my book I call for kind of a pre-9-11 commission. So like after the 9-11 attacks, um, there was a commission assembled of really leading uh, thinkers and um, uh, people in public life to go back and identify uh, how the 9-11 attack occurred. And that's where they found the failure of imagination. Um, uh, all kinds of red flags, but a failure of imagination. We have so many red flags in the cyber world now. Um, I, but I fear that we are still suffering from that failure of imagination. And we should actually have kind of a, almost a pre-9-11 commission where cyber is concerned to really bring together both the public and the private sector to, to, to really drill down on, on how we can improve our security in the cyber area. And in, in my book, I talk about 10 different questions that such a commission could address. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty scary. And sometimes you get the feeling that uh, the private sector isn't, isn't doing much with it. I mean, you look at all the credit card breaches and things like that that just keep happening. Yeah, um, you know, and I wonder whether, um, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the bottom line and return on investment for uh, spending money on cybersecurity and, and maybe a breach or a hack is just construed as a cost of doing business. Uh, but we can't continue on in that way um, uh, without uh, being at our peril. Well, and now we've got these political implications, too, of other nations, particularly Russia, I guess, at this moment, uh, trying to meddle in things over here through our social media, trying to get into our heads. Yes, and, and you know, um, if there's one thing that's clear from the Mueller uh, report um, and the indictments that have issued out of the Mueller investigation is that the Russians were all over our 2016 presidential election. They were hacking the Clinton campaign and releasing emails. Um, uh, they were planning false and misleading stories on social media. Uh, all to advantage uh, Donald Trump and to disadvantage Hillary Clinton. Um, I want to know what we're doing as a country to uh, strengthen our uh, protections in this regard uh, so to give us greater confidence that this isn't happening or cannot happen in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of seen as a partisan issue now because the assumption was that they were trying to get Donald Trump into office, but it could happen to either side, whoever they decide is a candidate that would be to some advantage to them. Right. And I think if a foreign adversary is intervening uh, directly in our democracy, uh, that to me is an act of uh, cyber warfare. And uh, we should be talking about greater sanctions on Russia, uh, uh, among other things. Well, and we have freedom of speech in this country, but these social media platforms are not owned by the government. People always think freedom of speech means you can say whatever you want, wherever you want, do whatever you want. But it's, it's freedom of speech from 
protection from the government, mm -hmm. uh, these private companies, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth and so on. What responsibility do you think they have to come up with some sort of uh, way to temper this? Uh, I, think, I think they have a lot of responsibility, and not only in um, uh, electoral interference, but on things like uh, 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 the rise of white nationalism and right-wing extremism. I mean, I think one of the good things we saw this week was that Facebook actually announced that it was uh, going to take offline any white nationalist uh, material. Uh, and if people are, were using those search terms, they were going to be uh, referenced over to anti-hate groups. Uh, I thought that was a, a good step in the right direction. You make the point in the book that uh, sometimes we're our own worst enemies, meaning individually, as far as protecting our own privacy. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. We need yeah. to do more. Yeah, indeed. And uh, there are uh, techniques people can use to uh, protect their passwords and protect their uh, uh, their um, websites and all that, that sort of thing. And, you know, they're pretty straightforward, but uh, it's um, amazing how few people um, go to that trouble. Domestic terrorism. I suppose you can frame lots of different things as domestic terrorism, but we certainly have our share of mass shootings, more than our share of mass shootings. And I imagine most uh, more people die in these mass shootings than ever die in these terrorist attacks that always seem to grab the headlines. Why don't we seem to be compelled to try to do more about it, or is it just throw up your hands because there's nothing we can do about it? We need to do much more by way of really studying these individuals and uh, what are the true red flags that um, we should be paying attention to so that we have a true intervention uh, strategy that we deploy. And then I actually think uh, we need better gun safety laws in this country. Well, we've got the bump stocks eliminated now. Uh, is that going to be one of the situations where Okay, we eliminated the bump stocks. We've done some, some gun control. You happy? Yeah. Uh, or, or can this proceed? I think we should do more. And, you know, I think we only need to look at what happened in New Zealand to know that um, there's more that can and should be done. And, you know, look, we're a Second Amendment country. We, be we believe in uh, the right to bear arms, uh, a well-ordered militia, etc. Um, uh, but I'm not sure the Founding Fathers were thinking of the kinds of uh, weapons that are, are being used uh, these days. There was the, uh, the thing with the threat levels, the different colors. I guess that's kind of gone away. But you mentioned in the book that you are seeing sort of a terrorism 1.0, terrorism 2.0, terrorism 3.0. What are those various levels, in, in your opinion? So terrorism 1.0 is uh, al-Qaeda. Uh, it's the 9-11 style, big, con big um, uh, conspiracy uh, directed by a foreign entity. Um, uh, you know, terrorism uh, uh, 2.0 is uh, uh, the development of homegrown uh, terrorist uh, groups um, uh, from within the United States. And 3.0 is the growth of the lone wolves um, who are acting... Uh, on their own, radicalized uh, on their own, and um, again, a difficult issue to, to solve. Why? Because there's no uh, conspiracy to interrupt. There are no communications to intercept. Uh, so you have to have a better way to, to find these people out. Uh, the book uh, is uh, pretty harsh on the current administration. I think at one point you accuse them of some sort of uh, security malpractice. Talk about that for a little bit. What What is concerning you right now? Well, I, I, I thought the 
whole separation of children from uh, their families at the border, that, that was security malpractice. Um, it was bad policy. It was not uh, a good reading of or required by our laws. It was inconsistent with our values. Um, and even if you were going to say that zero tolerance at, at the border was a good policy, i.e. that you're going to actually criminally prosecute everyone caught coming over as opposed to putting them into civil deportation procedures, even if you were going to do that, you ha you'd have to recognize that that would necessitate um, uh, separating children from families, and that would mean that not only was the Department of Justice involved, but the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Health and Human Services. And wouldn't you have uh, preferred having done some pre-policy planning in terms of uh, how you were going to reunite children with their parents uh, if they indeed had to be separated? None of that seems to have occurred. Let's talk about the TSA. Are you amazed at the stuff that people try to sneak on planes? And I assume they're trying to sneak it on that they're not so stupid that they think you can still bring a gun on a plane, but the no, TSA is getting all the time. time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, uh, and, um, uh, but it's why we need TSA agents. And, um, and, you know, fortunately, air travel is safe. And uh, we can have confidence in the safety of air travel. Just curious, when you write a book like this, uh, does it have to be vetted by the government? Yes, uh, we had to um, uh, have it reviewed at the Department of Homeland Security um, uh, to make sure I wasn't divulging any um, super secret stuff. Did they make you take anything out? Uh, a few edits, yes. <laughs> I guess you won't tell us what those are. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, people probably don't know what you're doing today. Let, let folks know where you're at. I'm the president of the University of California. I live in, uh, I live in the Bay Area in California, and I run the nation's largest public research university. Uh, and, and to that end, I'm wondering if uh, you think curriculum... Uh, in, in various institutions need to perhaps reflect the realities of today and include some sort of coursework or maybe even a major or something in some of these areas that, that need better and smarter people to try to figure these things out. Well, uh, we see that. there's a, In higher education around the country, there's a, a, a lot of growth in homeland security studies, uh, certainly a huge amount of growth in cybersecurity-related um, uh, work. So, uh, so higher education is, is uh, definitely heavily involved here. One of the things that surprised me about the book, because it's full of a lot of heavy, frightening topics, is in places it's really quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you more uh, uh, amusing than we give you credit for because yeah. of the job that you had? Uh, one would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect to, to find it like that. Did you enjoy writing the book? I did enjoy writing it. I had a great co-author, but I did a lot of the writing myself. So that brings us back to the, to the beginning. Uh, how, how safe are we? You know, in some areas, we're, we're much safer now than we were prior to 9-11. In other areas, risk continue to evolve, and we're not as safe as we ought to be. But you're still optimistic. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. Good. Secretary Napolitano, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you. That's former Secretary of Homeland Security and author Janet Napolitano talking about her book, How Safe Are We? Homeland Security Since 9-11, from publisher Public Affairs Books during our interview with her in February of 2019. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking with Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. 
Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host, editor, and producer of the video version of this program was Paul Shankman. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Photography was by Cecil Corbett and John Ross. Graphics were by Greg Kopp. Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. And HEC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking With Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain. The podcast editor was Ben Smith. And I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to Spot Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media.